Welcome to our sermon podcast here at Cornerstone Anglican Church. We are a new church plant in Chicago's West Loop neighborhood, seeking to participate in God's story of transformation. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad that you are here. My name is Father Nate, and we're continuing on in a series on the book of Psalms that we've been going through this Lent. And if you do have your Bibles with you, feel free to open them, or you can turn in your bulletin to Psalm 63. I just want to jump right into the context of this psalm. Uh, Psalm 63 has one of those uh, forewords to the psalm, which I always appreciate, and it says it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, this is one of those times that I really wish that ancient writer who gave us that little uh, pre-script would have told us when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Because if you know the life of David, David was in the wilderness of Judah a couple times. Part of why David's story is so interesting, why I'm sure there will be a Netflix series on David's life, is because he goes from the wilderness where he's running for his life near death multiple times, and he also experiences the highest highs of comfort and life in a palace in a thriving nation, and he kind of goes up and down and up and down and up and down. But it's generally a good idea, if you're wanting to follow David, to model how David lived when he was in the wilderness and not model how David lived when he was in the palace, which there's a lot there. But I wonder when David was in the wilderness when he wrote this psalm, and I wonder that, but, but I, I think this is the moment in the wilderness for David when he's later on in life, when he's fleeing not from Saul, the king who was jealous of him, seeking to take his life early in his life, but he's actually fleeing from a coup where someone's taking his kingship and where he has to run in a national civil war moment. Now, most commentators believe that based on some context clues. And so I'm just going to assume that for today, that David is in the wilderness, and he's in the wilderness running for his life because a coup has just happened in the city of Jerusalem, and there's actually a civil war that's ensuing. But who's the person, right? Who's the person who actually started this coup for David? Well, his name is Absalom. What do we know about Absalom? Yeah, he's David's son. So sweet when your son is trying to take your throne and kill you, right? And so David is actually experiencing at this moment what it's like to be in the wilderness, not knowing where his next meal is going to come from. He had to pack up and go quickly, not knowing where he's going to continually drink water, but also not knowing if he's going to live another 12 hours. At this point in David's life, he's probably, he's, he, you actually think he's going to lose. You think that Absalom's army is going to destroy David's army in a national civil war, and so David is, is experiencing kind of this, this evil of an unrighteous son who hates him, who's bitter at him, and who's leading an army to kill him. He's, he's got to be afraid for his life. So that's happening all, all around him. If you can just put yourself in David's shoes there, it's fun. But, but what's also happening internally for David? Right? It's, it's not only that he's afraid for his life and the lives of his countrymen. It's not only that he's afraid for what's going to happen to Israel, the nation that he loves, It's also that he knows this is all his fault. He knows it. Right? If if we remember the story of David, David is also famous for his evil. 
And if we had children's ministry today, I would share, again, that evil with you. But because I want to be appropriate, we'll just remember it was really evil. And one of the realities of that evil is that God says to him in 2 Samuel 12 through Nathan the prophet that a sword shall come into your family line. God, who, 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 who is always standing for the oppressed, is also saying the words to David, part of your judgment is that the natural consequences of your sin are going to happen in your family. Right? That actually your sons and daughters are going to be just as wicked as you are, and there will be constant division, constant anger in your family. And that's the seed right there of Absalom's rebellion. Absalom hated his father because his father was a really bad dad. Because his father did wicked things that ruined their family. Right? Absalom, he was bitter against his dad. And for a long time, he was working up a rebellion against his father. Right? Absalom was the good-looking son. Absalom was the son with promise. Absalom was the son that David loved. And Absalom used this to go out in front of the city gate and to judge for Israel. And essentially what would happen is people, if they had conflict and needed help, they would come outside the city gate to Absalom, and Absalom would help them discern what was good and what was evil. They're supposed to go to King David about that, but David is sleeping on the job, and his son is taking that place. And so everybody starts going to Absalom because Absalom will solve things and not going to David. And David lets this go on. And Absalom, who hates his dad, ends up leading this rebellion And David is in the wilderness. David is fearing for his life. David doesn't know probably exactly where his next meal fully is going to come from. And David knows it's all my fault. I'm the one who's done this. He is overwhelmed by evil. Inside, outside. His own evil, the evil of his son, the evil that's happening around him. He's overwhelmed. When I think about this year and what I have felt, and I know so many of you have felt, is that feeling of just being overwhelmed by evil. Being overwhelmed by evil on the outside, being overwhelmed by a virus that is evil, that is wicked, that is killing people, but overwhelmed by the anxiety, by the loneliness, by by what happens when we're by ourselves, when we look at a computer screen for hours a day. Overwhelmed. That it's in this year that God in his sovereignty actually has brought to national attention some systemic evils and injustices. Overwhelmed that we haven't even seen systemic racism for what it is. Overwhelmed looking at just how deep and entrenched it is. Overwhelmed by systemic sexism. Or overwhelmed by abuse, not just out there, but abuse that's in the church I don't know if you've had the experience at some point this year of reading an article of some abuse situation in the church and just not knowing how to handle it. Overwhelmed by evil that's on the outside and we're having to deal with all this evil while we're isolated and alone. Just overwhelming. And then we also know it's not just out there, it's in here. Where we've got broken relationships ourselves. All of us aren't just dealing with 
the realities of isolation and loneliness. We're also dealing with realities of broken relationships in our own lives, with death of loved ones in our own lives, with things that are happening near to us. Do you know that feeling of being overwhelmed by evil out there, but also being overwhelmed by evil in here, not knowing what to do with it? So we need David's voice here. David in the wilderness does give us lanterns that we can follow in the night path of the wilderness. He gives us the path for our feet that we can follow to know what do we do when we are overwhelmed by evil. What does David do? He worships. It's really what this passage is. is He just... He casts his mind onto another. He says, I need to get out of my story right now. And I need to, God, get into your story. I need to behold you, to look upon you, to gaze upon you, to praise you, to meditate on you, to behold you. And when we are overwhelmed by evil, oh, how we need to worship. Amen? So three things I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our need for worship, the need for worship that, that this text gives us, Psalm 63. I want to speak about the heart of worship and the effect of worship. The need for worship, the heart of worship, and the effect of worship. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, would you lift our eyes to gaze upon you, to behold you. Well, Lord, we say that for many of us, we're there. We're just overwhelmed by the evil around us and within us. And we ask that you would quiet our hearts, that you would lift our minds, that you would do that miracle that you did for David, and that you would bring us into the place of worship. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Your word is a light into our path. It's a lamp into our feet. So would you, would you just have David, King David, go before us, planting those lanterns that we can follow after him. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Psalm 63 begins, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We, we know that feeling of being thirsty, right? That, that feeling where you're just so thirsty, all you can think about is water. Please give me more water, right? If you've ever gotten to that place where you are like really, really thirsty, there's, there's a difference between needing water and just needing food, right? When you're thirsty, when you haven't had water, that consumes you. I remember being on wilderness trips and when I was in high school and we were going throughout uh, the northern Minnesota for, for weeks at a time. And I remember, yeah, thanks, Joel. Um, I remember... Um, I remember there were days when we didn't actually know where water was going to come from. We were in the woods for a while. We, we, the map set a creek, and there wasn't a creek. And so it was hours after our water was done, 
and we had to find a creek, build a fire, and then we needed to actually boil the water so that we wouldn't poison ourselves, and then we would drink the water. And in those moments, when, when we didn't know where the water was going to come from, all I thought about was water. Water. I am thirsty. I need water. Far more than I need food. And, and this is, I, I've never been to this place, but, but, but I have heard of, when you're in a desert, and you're like this, when you actually don't know where your water's going to come from, all that consumes your mind is water. I need water. My body needs water. And so you actually begin to have mirages of water. You begin to see water in places that water isn't because it's so consuming to your body. Our bodies were made to need water. And what David is connecting here is that image of our bodies that need water with our longing to be in relationship with the transcendent one. With how our soul, the Hebrew understanding of soul is body, mind, all of your being is made to be in relationship with God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. Just like a body needs water. One speaker summarizes David saying, I find in myself a need for transcendence as primal and as elemental as my physical body has a primal and elemental need for water in a desert. My soul needs transcendence like my body needs water. Okay, why, why is that? Well, let's go back to the basics of our faith, right? Why is it that our souls need transcendence like our bodies need water? It's because you were created. David was created in the image of God. Right? Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And they were created to be in a garden, to be relating to God, to be in relationship with God, to be in fellowship with the uncreated one. Created to be in fellowship with the uncreated one, to be relating to, to be partnered with, to be understood by, to understand, to gaze upon, to work with, to commune with, to have all of their bodies and all of their lives and all of their minds in relationship with the uncreated creator of heaven and earth. Amen? You were made in the image of God. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. That was how they were created, to have that living water of God Almighty constantly flowing through them and flowing back. You cannot understand humanity by themselves. You cannot understand your person by yourself. You were created to relate and be with another. And what did Adam and Eve do? We remember the basics here. What did Adam and Eve do? Well, They messed up. They turned inward instead of going outward. They went their own way. Rather than relating to God, they trusted in themselves. And there's that curved inwardness that happens, that desire to just relate to ourselves or even to relate to others in such a way where the desire for transcendence comes out in a longing with another person that can't get that or a longing for yourself. I heard one pastor Say, it's like uh, understanding our longing for transcendence is like understanding Old Faithful. What national park is Old Faithful at? Thank you, guys. Uh, Has anyone been there? Of course you have, Joel. Um, Is it, I'm sure it's beautiful. It's great. You can tell I haven't been there. Um, So it's like understanding Old Faithful. Just that reality that that we were created to be in relationship. Our, Our hearts are bursting forth with that desire to be in relationship with the transcendent one. But what sin does in us, what our curved inwardness does in us, is it puts a cork in old faithful. Now, what happens if you put a cork in old faithful? Is the water pressure going to die? Right? No. What it means is the water is just going to find another place to come out. 
right? The, the water's going to come out in often violent ways through crevices and cracks, often in even destructive ways in other places. And so that's how we actually understand the nature of who we are. We were created with a longing to relate with a transcendent one. And if we actually even understand sin, it's that longing for relationship and communion and fellowship with the transcendent one going in these cracks and crevices that often create violence and destruction. And so if you actually look at sin, you can follow the arrows back to our own hearts and show how they actually are a longing for us, a longing for our created order that we would relate with the God who made us. Amen? You cannot understand yourself. You cannot understand your body. You cannot understand our community. You're everything unless you understand that you were made to worship. Who are you? Who are you? Fundamentally, what's your identity? Who are you? How do you understand yourself? You are an adoring person. You are a worshiper. You were made to gaze upon, to give of yourself to, to be enraptured by another. The scriptures say you can't understand yourself until you get out of yourself and get lost in another. Now, the scriptures don't say it just like that. That's my summary of what the teaching of the scriptures are, is you can't understand yourself unless you get out of yourself and get lost in another. Now, that sounds unhealthy, right? You can't understand yourself unless you get lost in another. And it really is, typically, for basically everything else. Because if you try to lose yourself in another person, that's going to ruin you. If you try to lose yourself in a job, that's, that will mess you up. If you lose yourself in yourself, you'll become conceited. But if you seek to plumb the depths of your creator who made you sacrifices for you and defines you, he'll be the one who tells you who you are. It's the only way we even understand ourselves is to worship. You are an adoring person. You are made to worship. Full stop. Amen? Augustine says our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Whether you feel it right now or not, your hearts are crying out just like David's heart. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. That desire that's within you is that, that water pressure of old faithful that's the longing to be in relationship and communion with your God who loves you. David is in touch with that. That's what he knows is going on in the wilderness. Right? Some of us, we're not as in touch with that right now. That's who we are. Amen. Okay, that's, that's our need for worship. But what's the heart of worship? Well, that's going to be most of the rest of this psalm. I just want to begin again going theologically. Our, our heart of worship, how we worship, if we're made in God's image, is first, it's to act as God's image bearers. We have to remember that all of our life is worship because as uh, Irenaeus, an early church father, said, the glory of God is man fully alive. For what is worship? What glorifies God is actually when we, as men and women, as God's image bearers, 
live fully alive, live fully the life that God has called us to, the garden life, the life of relationship with God, where all that we do, right, if we, we nurture a child, we image God in that, that's worship. Right, where we sacrifice for another, we image God in that, that's worship. When we just work, when we do good work, that images God and that's worship. And so all that we do that images God, that, that's worship. But we're going to see also what David's going to say here is we who are made to worship, what's the heart of worship? What is it that we do in worship? Is we behold the one whose image we bear. What is worship? It's just beholding the one whose image we bear. Beholding the one who we were made to be in awe of. To stop and wonder at. David continues, he says, Okay, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. Because, because I've got this longing within me to know you, God, what I've done is I, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Right, David's in the wilderness right now. And he's saying, you know, you know, I know that I have this longing within me to relate to you, transcendent God, to be with you. And so what I've done is I've actually gone to the temple. I've gone to the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the Shekinah glory of God resides. I've looked upon you. And you know what I've seen? As I've seen your power, your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David's remembering God's steadfast, his chesed love, the steadfast love of God. That's better than life. Your steadfast love, when I look at your power and your glory and your unchanging love, that's, that's better. That's better than anything else that I've tasted. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to remember and declare all that you have done. So I'm going to bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I'm going to get lost in you again. I'm going to get lost in your steadfast love. I'm going to sing about all that you have done for me. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Oh, that longing within me is going to be met. Like when I really want to eat good food and I've got steak. My soul will be satisfied looking at you, gazing upon you, wondering about you. As with fat and rich food and my mouth will proclaim you with joyful lips. When, not only when I remember you in the sanctuary and look upon you in the sanctuary and lift up my hands, but also when I remember you upon my bed. When I meditate on you in the watches of the night. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to lay in, in my bed. Right, remember, this is David. I'm going to lay in my bed tonight when I'm concerned that maybe Absalom's going to come and kill me and I'm thinking about how it's my fault. But what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to remember I'm going to meditate on you and your steadfast love. I'm going to meditate on you. I'm going to declare your praises. Remember how good you are, how you satisfy me. For you have been my help. You're always with me. You're here in the shadow of your wings. You're protecting me. You're setting your wings around me. And what am I going to do under your protection? I'm going to sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me David's doing is he's, he's stopping all 
of what he's doing. He's just saying, I'm just going to look at you. I'm just going to behold you. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to praise you. You're so good. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. You're with me. Your steadfast love is unchanging. One of the things that I've been thinking about this week has been, for me, this has been a year when I've been most overwhelmed by evil. And for me, this has also been a year when my corporate worship has most been disrupted. And I think I probably speak for most of us, if not all of us, in that. We've had this reality where we've been overwhelmed by evil and actually the moment when we come together and we just come to behold, we come to stop other things and we just come to behold and remember who God is and just say, God, you're really good. You're really faithful. That has been disrupted. And I, I, think we, we don't, I don't think I realize how much of an effect that's had on me. I think maybe I'll get more clarity on that next year. Maybe even in five to ten years, I'll look back and I'll say, oh, that's what was going on in my life and in my heart because I wasn't in the same way being with all the worshipers in the temple for David. I wasn't with all the worshipers here in the sanctuary of God in an embodied way just beholding. Right? David's in the wilderness and he's saying, what I long for, what I miss the most right now in my moment of need is I can't go into the sanctuary with the people of God to behold your power and glory. And isn't that where we're at? <laughs> That's what we long to do is to stop and to just remember God's steadfast love and his presence and his faithfulness to us. Amen? We are made to worship. You are made to worship. You're made to get lost in the story of who God is, to relate to him, to commune with him. And what I, what I feel so grateful for what, what my heart has actually grown in gratitude for is that Holy Week is coming. Is that actually next week begins Palm Sunday. And literally, the job of the Christian in Holy Week is just simply to stop, to look, to behold. Full stop. Or what, what's your role? Even if, if you're wondering, what, what do I do in the next few weeks? What, what does it mean to engage in Holy Week? Do I have to do something or... Holy Week is a time to just remember it's about his story. And our job is to behold his story. To stop and look at it, to stare at it, to be in awe of it. Right, as Christians, we're called worshipers. Right, I, I actually love it when the, when the news gets our title right. When they, when they talk about Christians or churchgoers as there were this many worshipers at this gathering. Like that is our role. What our role is over the next two weeks is just to worship it's to stop, to behold, to look at, and to wonder, to actually join with Jesus in Palm Sunday and just to remember what he did, to join with Jesus, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, Vigil, Easter, just to actually reenact it, not for any purpose of anything else, but just to remember, just to worship, to think about, to gaze upon, to see God's steadfast love given for us at the cross, to see his power and his glory at the resurrection. There is no ulterior motives that we have for Holy Week besides worshiping God. That's, if I can give any pastoral word over the next two weeks, 
Focus all of your energy, right? If you even have just some portion of you for Christian energy, focus all of your Christian energy on worship, on stopping and beholding, amen? What a gift that we can just stop as David stopped and behold him. We were uh, prepping for Holy Week this year, and I, I remember for this, this last week, and Holy Week has always been that place where if I like go to the mountaintop experiences of my walk with the Lord, it's just, it's been at remembering Holy Week. It's been at services when I had visions of Jesus risen from the dead on Easter vigil gatherings. It's been in times when I've touched the cross and experienced tangibly his healing power, his steadfast love that's better than life. And I realized this week as we were planning Holy Week, it's actually coming. We're actually going to do it again. We're actually going to be gathered together as God's people and we actually are going to remember what he's done for us. I, I had tears starting to come that, that I stopped coming because I was in a meeting. But what a gift that we can worship. All right, the, the last part uh, of, of Psalm 63 is the effect of worship. Right, David ends saying, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. What David's going to do at the end of this after he's said, God, I need you. And then he said, God, I'm beholding you. This is who you are. Then he actually goes to his present circumstances. And he says, those who seek to destroy my life, right, Absalom and his army, unrighteously coming after me, shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Right, what commentators will note is, yes, David can be speaking about imminently, which will happen, that Absalom will lose and die and be judged. But he's actually even focusing his hope on the future judgment for evil and unrighteousness saying, I know that this isn't going to last. What I've just worshipped, that's what's going to last. But evildoers, they'll be given over to the power of the sword. They'll be given in and of themselves. And he says, okay, that's going to happen to them. What am I going to do? But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Okay, I know, I know God's going to take care of this situation. I know evil will one day be judged. And I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep beholding. I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do. And also, I'm going to remember my God-given anointing. He intentionally says, the king. Or that's the title given to him by God. He was anointed by God as king. But the king, I'm going to rejoice in God. And I'm going to make everyone rejoice in God. Because in this moment, what I need to do is worship and keep worshiping. So I just, I wonder, I wonder what God is doing in our community. I wonder what God's going to do after Holy Week as we just full stop, just seek to worship for no other reason. I wonder how much bigger God will be to us and how much lesser all of our problems will be. And I wonder what God will remind us, what calling God will remind you of that will give you clarity and direction as you just keep worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.